Welcome to Fair Folk. I'm Danica Boyce. The winter solstice is the undisputed queen of feasts. She sits stately atop the wheel of the year, in a crown of evergreens and fire, attended by ghosts and spirits, foretelling golden harvests with the infant year at her breast. Behind all the tinsel, paper, and even the sleigh rides, this holiday originates in the ancient and rather obvious celebration of the inevitable increase in exposure to the source of all life on Earth, the sun. It unites the melancholy culmination of mourning for that sun's waning in early winter with the joyful promise of its return in triumph in spring. This midwinter moment, when scarcity, darkness, and bitter cold rain is also paradoxically the most earnestly celebrated with the most elaborate and influential folk traditions of all. You might wonder, especially if you're one of the many people afflicted with seasonal depression, why have a holiday at the absolute worst time of year? And what magic, if any, might be found at the heart of this rather desperate midwinter feast? This episode will shed light on a few of the more compelling and mysterious songs and traditions associated with the winter solstice in Europe, and I hope that they'll provide some inspiration for your own long nights this December. Let us begin with the earliest surviving secular song in English. Preserved in a fragment in a 13th century manuscript, this Middle English song complains about the seemingly endless night and the cruel winds of the winter season. It reflects on brighter times, on the long-distant glories of summer, with its birds singing in the trees, and days that bear no resemblance to the sorrow and starvation we face in the extreme of winter. This is Myriatis While Summary Lost by Ensemble Belladonna. Thank you. 
Since long before a child called the Christ gave Christmas its English name, the turning of the year was an auspicious time, a threshold, a broad and empty space wherein the luck of the coming year might be born. Spring is a celebration of the rebirth of the visible landscape, of the green grass you can see with your eyes, the sun you can feel on your skin. But the solstice is another sort of rebirth, a deeper and almost imperceptible change, in the darkness before the sun's return, when everything is still uncertain and one must live on faith alone. The winter solstice is the hollow wind that might just carry your prayer out into the night. It's that bare bone that might tell fortunes. It's when everything extra is stripped away except the thin soul of the year, naked of flesh and outward activity. Only the faintest scrap of the year's light remains, stretching tenuously into the next, and upon that delicate wire, there's a worn space that people have, for hundreds of years, been hanging their wishes. Beyond simple luck, elaborate and serious attempts to look into one's future over the coming year have been a part of European winter solstice folk traditions for centuries or longer. Christmas divination, though not widely known in North America, is still practiced in earnest in various places all over Europe. In countries like Estonia and Turkey, for example, people will predict the bounty of the coming year by pouring molten tin or lead into cold water and analyzing the shape of the resulting formations. In Germany, girls used to blindfold and encircle a goose at Christmas, hoping to be the first one that the distressed bird bumped into, as that would mean she would be the first to marry. Across Europe, Asia, and Northern Africa, there is an extremely old and widespread tradition of telling the future by reading bones, and more specifically, the scapula of a recently butchered lamb or pig. This form of divination or fortune-telling by shoulder bone, particularly associated in northern nations with Yuletide, is known as scapulomancy. So if you really want to impress your hosts this New Year's Eve, you need only slip into the kitchen and claim the shoulder blade from off the counter. Carry it back with you, clean off any remaining flesh, and hold it up to the dining room light. Look closely at the transparent part. If it's clear, the year ahead will be fine and easy. If there are imperfections and shadows, I think you can guess what that might mean. Analyze their symbolism as best you can before your hosts get a little creeped out and you have to quickly wrap things up. If you need more assistance in interpreting the shadowy bits, catch a plane to Greece or Serbia, as the custom is still relatively common among farmers in those countries to this day. Fortune-telling plays a significant part in Russian Christmas folklore as well, and likely predates Christianity's presence in the region. In Russian folklore, like many other regions of Europe, winter solstice is believed to be a time when ghosts and spirits wander the earth and are available for contact, providing you have the right moves. If you're visiting a Russian village this Christmas season, and you happen to be unmarried, maybe if you're lucky, after dinner is cleared away and midnight approaches, 
you'll be invited by an old woman, along with the other unmarried guests, outside to a nearby hut. Inside, there will be a bowl on the table, filled with water, which was drawn by the last born of the family, either from a well or from an ice hole. This water will symbolize the boundary between this world and the other one. You'll be asked, along with the others, to remove a ring, an earring, a cufflink, or some other small personal object, and place it in the bowl of otherworldly water, which will then be covered with a cloth. After this, you'll be drawn into singing a series of repetitive and cryptic songs, full of symbolism, while the leader, at the center of the circle, silently stirs the water in the bowl with her bare hand. At the end of the song, the old lady will reach into the bowl and remove the first object to graze her fingers. If that object is yours, it means the images from the last song you heard refer to your particular fortune. References to bread or grains mean you'll have material security in your marriage. Gold, pearls, or fur mean wealth. And cooperative activities like eating or working signify a happy marriage. Use your instincts. We know more about archetypes than we think we do. But don't worry. If you can't figure it out, the old lady will be happy to assist you in understanding your fate. Many of the oldest surviving products of traditional cultures, the hopes, fears, songs, and rituals, derive from the fact that for most of memorable human history, we have lived and died by the success or failure of our crops. That means that whatever happens in the sky and produces the seasons and the weather not only influences what happens down here, but is really one and the same. As above, so below, they say. And the influence of the spheres couldn't be more obvious than at the darkest moment of the year, when the northern hemisphere is tilted painfully away from its most generous patron, the sun. Since most earthly cultures assigned human characteristics to the powers of nature, the winter solstice was commonly attributed to the behavior of a sun god, whether that sun god dies and is reborn, or simply goes into the underworld for a season like in the story of the Greek goddess Persephone, who is forced to live in the underworld with a creepy Hades in the wintertime. In ancient Roman paganism, the god was called Sol Invictus, or the unconquered sun. In Latvia, the sun goddess is called Sole. One of her main activities is to carry the souls of the departed across the sea to the land of the dead. At winter solstice, pagan Latvians would, and still do, celebrate the rebirth of Sole, which heralds the shift to longer days and the coming of summer. This next song, Tech Palete Zernu Zogtu, performed by the Californian group Kitka, is a pre-Christian winter solstice song invoking Sole and the god of the heavens.
it's all well and good to imagine that the sun is being reborn up there in the cosmos somewhere. But what would be really nice would be a real, tactile representation of the tenacity of the natural world that we could keep in our houses and look at over the winter solstice. Bringing evergreen plants inside the house is one of the most aesthetically rewarding and long-lasting of the pagan traditions of the winter solstice. The cult of the green bough, whose origins in Western culture have been traced to ancient Roman and Celtic spiritual traditions, resonates universally at Christmas time. Holly, ivy, mistletoe, and fir, these evergreens are representative of the soul of the year, the visible, if tenuous, indicator of life amidst the death and desolation of midwinter. The next song in this winter solstice episode is The Holly She Bears a Berry, sung by the Voice Squad. This carol equates the virility of the holly bush with the central Christian winter fertility tale, wherein a lady named Mary gives birth in midwinter after being impregnated by the Hebrew creator god, Yahweh. Oh, the holly, she bears a berry as white as the milk. And Mary, she bore Jesus all wrapped up in silk. And Mary, she bore Jesus, our Savior for to be. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Holly, holly. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Oh, the holly, she bears a berry as green as the grass. And Mary, she bore Jesus, who died on the cross. And Mary, she bore Jesus, our Savior for to be. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Holly, holly, and the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Oh, the holly, she bears a berry as black as the coal, and Mary, she bore Jesus, who died for us all. And Mary, she bore Jesus, our Savior for to be. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly, holly, holly. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Oh, the holly, she bears a berry, as blood it is red. And we trust in our Saviour, who rose from the dead. And Mary, she bore Jesus, our Saviour for to be. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. Holly, holly. And the first tree that's in the green wood, it was the holly. The next song, Haugabunden is a popular Norwegian and Faroese Christmas song telling the tale of an unusual encounter between the ghost of a burial mound and an oblivious farmer who goes there to gather branches to deck his halls. When the farmer encounters the Haugabonden, the spirit dances and chants and complains about how the kids on the farm are always playing too loudly, throwing beer bowls at him and stabbing sticks into his halls, even on the sacred night of Yule. 
He says he would strike them blind and dumb if it weren't for the fact that this farmer had been allowing him to use his boat without paying rent all this time. He then proceeds to give the farmer lavish gifts in return for his kindness. So, what could have been a terrifying midwinter horror story, an encounter with the furious spirit of a burial mound at night, turns out to be a feel-good song about how even though modern culture disregards and profanes tradition and sacred sites, the spirit of the ancestors and folk tradition might still reward those who hold them sacred with a little Christmas magic, or something like that. This is The Haugebonden by Tirol Tunga. Snälla du, 
With all this talk about cycles and fertility and rebirth, it was only a matter of time before people started to notice a connection between the whole continuation of life theme and the particular human bodies that make it happen. So along with a focus on solar bodies and plants, there is also a strong sense in the historical record that this particular holiday is about women. In Lithuania, Advent songs often make no reference to the advent of the Christ whatsoever, being pagan in origin, and this one is no exception. It consists instead of a lengthy discussion of the virtues of the young women in the community in hopes that they might soon marry. This is Oilingsta Saulale, or The Benches Are Bending, by Kaisto Folkloro Gruppe.
Before the 4th century in Europe, the birth of Jesus had no official calendar date and could have been celebrated any time from January through September. Pope Julius I was the one who came up with the clever idea of pasting the holiday on top of pre-existing Yule celebrations, and since then, with some minor shuffling, the date has stuck. In England, the imagery of a mother giving birth to a holy child in a manger maps perfectly onto a number of pre-existing celebrations, some of the lesser known of which are dedicated to the reverence of feminine deities and to women in general. A brief reference by the 8th century medieval chronicler Bede tells us that the pagan Anglo-Saxons celebrated a holiday they called Mother's Night on December 25th. This holiday, though only mentioned and not described, seems very likely connected to the Germanic Celtic Matras or Matrone tradition. Statues of these three female figures, of which over a thousand have been found in northwestern Europe, often contain references to sacrifices of pigs or, alternatively, of bowls of fruit. The fact that they appear in groups of three may also connect them to the three Norns of Norse mythology, who are responsible for determining the fates of individuals. This medieval Norwegian Christmas song, Et Lite Barn Solistelig, performed by Yule Stemmer, expresses joy that a child has been born to redeem the world. Echoing the pagan celebration of the rebirth of a sun god, it describes how the songs of joy from the earth will float up to the heavens to mix with those of the celestial beings, also known as angels. There are an unusual group of carols in the English folk tradition that have come over time to be associated with Christmas, though they don't always make specific reference to the occasion. These songs tell stories that share roots with the tales called the Infancy Gospels. These are early Christian stories about the childhood of Jesus that didn't quite make it into the official version of the Bible, probably because they were just a little bit too weird. These miracle stories paint him as a half-mortal, trickster-god-like figure who can perform magic, and often does so, and sometimes for dubious reasons. This wizard child, Jesus, performs many supernatural feats, including helping his carpenter father with a building project by magically stretching a beam that he needed to be just a little bit longer. 
The young Jesus is also credited with killing a good number of other children, often by cursing them, though he balances this tendency by being really skilled at raising people from the dead. Never those other children, though. In The Bitter Withy, sung here by the valley folk, the child Jesus finds himself rejected by a group of wealthier kids with whom he was hoping to play ball, because they say he was born in an ox's stall. He solves this social problem by using his supernatural powers to fashion a bridge over a nearby river out of the beams of the sun. He walks across it. The boys follow him, and because they are not magic, they fall in and drown. When his mother finds out, she is angry with him and gives him three lashes on his backside with a willow wand called a withy. Jesus, also furious, lays a curse on the willow and proclaims that the willow tree shall be the very first tree to perish at the heart. The willow is susceptible to heart rot, a disease that causes the tree to decay from the inside out. As it befell on a bright holiday, small hail from the sky did fall. Our Saviour asked his mother dear if he might go and play at ball. At ball, at ball, my own dear son, it's time that you were gone. But don't let me hear of any mischief at night when you come home. So up the hill and down the hill our sweet young saviour ran, until he met three rich young lords, good morning to each one. Good morn, good morn, good morn, says they, good morning again, says he, and which of you three rich young lords will play at ball with me? Oh, we are lords and ladies' sons, born in the bower and hall, and you are not but a poor maid's child born in an ox's stall. It's if I'm not but a poor maid's child born in an ox's stall, I'll make you believe in your latter end I'm an angel above you all. So he made him a bridge of the beams of the sun, and over the river ran he. Them rich young lords chased after him, and drowned they were all three. Then up the hill and down the hill three rich young mothers ran, crying, Mary mild, fetch home your child, for ours he's drowned each one. So Mary mild fetched home her child and laid him across her knee, and with a handful of willow twigs she gave him slashes three. Oh, bitter with thee, ah, bitter with thee, you've caused me to smart, and the willow shall be the very first tree to perish at the heart. Another Infant Jesus Miracle Carol, also about trees, and one of my favorite carols by far, is the Cherry Tree Carol. This song tells of a time when the pregnant Virgin Mary was walking with Joseph through an orchard of cherry trees. She's hungry, so she asked Joseph to pick some cherries for her. Joseph flies into a rage and says, Why doesn't the father of your baby gather cherries for you? Jesus, who doesn't understand sarcasm, and is also, through some strange theological twist, kind of his own father, speaks up from inside his mother's womb and commands the cherry tree to bow down so she can eat her fill. This is Shirley Collins with the Cherry Tree Carol. Virgin Mary 
there exists a striking custom of traveling from house to house over Christmas with a person in the costume of a dead grey mare, called Mary Lloyd. The costume consists of a horse skull, whose eyes are the ends of glass bottles or Christmas ornaments, and who initiates a rhyme battle with the people inside of the houses she visits. The grey mare and her escorts begin by singing a verse through the closed door, and the residents of the house must sing one back. Improvised in rhyme, until somebody fails to come up with the next verse. If the person who drops the ball is in the Mary Lloyd party, they must leave the doorstep. If the loser is on the inside, they must invite the Mary Lloyd and her friends in for drinks and food. One story of the origin of Mary Lloyd says that when the Virgin Mary was about to give birth in that Bethlehem stable, a pregnant mare was kicked out to make space. Since that time, the mare has wandered the earth as a spirit, looking endlessly for shelter. This tale jives well with the fact that there was clearly a pre-Christian horse cult in the Celtic nations, which was displaced by Christian custom. 
The pagan tradition, then, carries on as a pregnant spectral mare, pointing ominously to the repression of both sexual and feminine energies in Christian spirituality. This is a traditional Mary Lloyd song performed by Careg Lavar. Well, the man in the world, the vision in the world, he moved 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 in the world, he Mi ganavam with nos a heavy bethevnos, a misos be the horse, a misos be the horse, a misos be the horse, I leave O tapu chavaril, gotlangu and rigil, Navadu chikanil, Navadu chikanil, Navadu chikanil, My Mary Lloyd Lawen, I'm the dicht in Rondon. Achani witi ben, achani witi ben, achani witi ben, Another notorious female figure from winter solstice folklore is the Befana, an Italian Christmas witch. Instead of St. Nicholas, an old lady with a humpback, a soot-blackened face because she comes through the chimney, and a broom, brings presents to the children. They deliver their Christmas wishes to her by writing them on little slips of paper and drifting them up the chimney on a draft of hot air. Some scholars have connected the Befana with the ancient Roman goddess of the New Year, Strenia, who also gave out figs, dates, and honey at the winter solstice. Folk tradition says that the three wise men stopped at the Befana's house on the way to find the Christ child, asking her for directions. She didn't know the way, and besides, she was really busy sweeping the house. But then later, she saw a bright light in the sky and thought it might show the way to the child, so she filled her little bag with gifts a child would like and went on her way to find him. She never did, but to this day she gives gifts to every other child, maybe because she realized they need them just a little bit more. Vestito all'armana, viva viva la Befana, viva viva la Befana. Ecco donne la Befana, non è quella degli altri anni, ha mutato veste e panni e si è messa la barbantana. Ecco donne la Befana, ecco donne la 
Befana, da Firenze Lucchesia, la Befana è venuta, tutti quanti vi saluta, quanti siete nel paese, quanti siete nel paese. Porgetele qualcosa, non ha panni e non ha dote, si marita domattina, si marita domattina. Dunque su, fate prestino, anche a noi l'ora ci attarda, e sullo spuntar dell'alba, dalla guardia, A central figure in German Christmas tradition is an old woman known as Frau Holle, who figures largely in the grim fairy tale by the same name. Frau Holle is, most importantly, the source of all snow, a role which connects her to other winter spirits like the Snow Queen, Jack Frost, and the Russian Morozko. Frau Holle wears a white dress with keys at her belt and lives in a cave in northern Germany with her cats. In the Frau Holle folk tale, a young woman drops her spindle down a well and accidentally jumps in after it. She finds herself in a lush and green land and happens upon an oven with some bread in it. The bread, being fully baked, asks her to take it out. She does so and carries on until she comes to a tree, burdened with apples, and it asks her to shake it. She does so. Next, she is invited to an old woman's house and asked to help her with the housework. The woman, Frau Holle, counsels the girl to shake out the down-filled bedding really well when she makes the bed, because this is what makes it snow in the human world. After helping with all the chores, when the girl wishes to go home, she is showered with a rain of gold as a reward for her helpfulness. Her sister, hearing of her success, also jumps into the well. However, 
This lazy stepsister does none of the good deeds that the other girl did in Frau Hollow's world. And at the end of her visit, she is showered instead with a rain of pitch. Frau Holle appears in some of the earliest German legends as a fairy figure who protects spinners and children whom she bears from the other world through bodies of water. In later folk tradition, she rewards kindness and hard work, though earlier versions are a little bit less kind. She's described in early medieval texts as not only one figure, but actually a mob of demons. She is also notorious for taking part in the wild hunt, a motif in European folklore where a spectral band of hunters swoops across the land, terrifying people, and led in the German tradition by Frau Holle and the god Woden. This is Frau Holle, who shakes her bedding out, by the Philharmonic Children's Choir of Dresden and Blockflotten Group Bautzen. We are coming to the end of this winter solstice episode of Fair Folk. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends, review it on iTunes, and find me on Facebook at Fair Folk Podcast or on Instagram at Danica.child. If you want me to keep making the podcast and even more often, please consider supporting me on Patreon. 
The address is patreon.com slash fairfolkcast. I'll leave you with another medieval British carol, which provides a fantastic example of how you might celebrate both the Divine Feminine and beer this holiday season. This is Maddie Pryor and Tim Hart with Bring Us In Good Ale. See
Fair Folk is a radio show and podcast exploring folk culture and music from around the world. The show is hosted by Smithers Community Radio, smithersradio.com, and can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful winter solstice.